Hey, welcome to what may be the last night school of the, of the year. This might very well be the last night school of the year, unless I do one tonight. Yeah, this, I don't know, I guess this is a, a New Year's episode here, and we will probably cover that territory if it needs to be covered. Everybody else is covering it. Uh, but what I was thinking of today, actually, you know, everybody's familiar with the idea that wannabes can be more dangerous than the real thing. You know, somebody who is trying to do something has more to prove, and that can make them a bigger threat. You know, it doesn't make a difference what it is. I mean, when, when you hear that, you might think of gangsters. A wannabe gangster is in some ways more dangerous than a real gangster because a real gangster is secure and confident and doing what he does. He doesn't need to prove it. He doesn't need to display it. He doesn't need to perform it. So a wannabe gangster is very dangerous because he wants to decorate his life with actions and behaviors that make him look like a gangster because he wants people to see him that way. And I kind of take that idea for granted now, and I feel like I've heard other people talk about it, but it's funny how you can trace an idea back. Like, you can trace... Like, I, I know exactly when I learned that. I know exactly when I learned that, oh, wannabes are actually more dangerous in many cases. And uh, when I was a teenager, I had a, a roommate, uh, a guy renting a room from us. I've never thought of him as a roommate, but that's exactly what he was. But a guy rented a room from us. He was a Puerto Rican guy from Florida who had moved to Washington to learn to be a video game designer. Because my hometown is the next town over from Nintendo headquarters. And this guy, he had stayed with some friends to go to some kind of camp where they taught you the basics of designing video games. The things these people do, they design these these video games. You know, he went to some kind of summer camp, and I mean, he was older than I was, uh, but he went to some kind of summer camp where they taught you the basics, and he stayed with some friends, and we met him, and he was a great guy, and then he went to another camp where he stayed with us, and we got along with him very well, so he ended up moving to Washington to actually go to Nintendo's college. Nintendo actually has their own college that teaches you to design video games. I want to say it was called, oh, DigiPen. It's called DigiPen. You hear about these kids who are going to this DigiPen, they're designing all these games, you know, but he was actually doing that. But he was this Puerto Rican guy from Florida, and he was a vandal. He was a very prolific graffiti artist in Florida. And so that put him into contact with all kinds of people. So he was an interesting guy in that he was very nerdy. He loved video games. And this is before the whole nerd chic thing. And you wouldn't think he was a nerd. You know, you wouldn't look at this guy and think, oh, look at that nerd. That looks like, see that guy? He looks like the type of guy who'd go to college for video games. Oh, you're, he's, that, that looks like the kind of guy who's going to the video game college. He didn't look like it at all. He actually looked like a guy who does graffiti. So he had an interesting background. Um, and I'm always interested in Florida. You know, I'm, I've always been interested in, like, what comes out of Florida, you know, what goes into Florida. Uh, 
but he uh, lived with us for a while, and so he and I would just talk sometimes, and he, I remember him telling me about just people he knew in Florida, and he told me once, he, I was probably 15 years old, and he told me, you know, in you, you, the people you have to worry about, he said, are the wannabes. So pretty much exactly what I just said. I'm just reiterating what I just said a minute ago, but it was the first person who ever said that to me. It was the first person who ever told me, oh yeah, the people you have to watch out for are the wannabes. And chances are, if somebody is doing something, if somebody's acting out, chances are they are actually a wannabe. But them being a wannabe doesn't make them less dangerous. It actually makes them more because they're more likely to do something impulsive. They're more likely to try to prove themselves. And if the thing that they are wanting to be is something that has a reputation for being tough or dangerous, well, that's going to make a wannabe very dangerous themselves. And I think that's what you see in prison a lot of the times. Like if you've looked into, you know, gang members who end up in prison, you know, a lot of times they're the ones who, you know, they were trying to to show it. They were trying to make a display because so much of it is about identity. I mean, this, this gets back to the old identity conversation that seems to never end here. Because, you know, being a wannabe... You know, any you can be a wannabe anything. And I used to hear that phrase a lot. I think where I originally heard the phrase wannabe was with regards to, like, tough guys and gangsters. I think that's where I originally even heard that phrase. You know, not a want-to-be, but a wannabe. Like a wallaby, a wannabe. Wallaby, you're, you're a wannabe wallaby. <laughs> that's the best joke I'm going to make tonight. That's the best joke I'm going to make all day. A wannabe wallaby. A wannabe wallaby. But it made total sense, you know, just to get back to the idea. This this guy telling me, oh, yeah, the people to watch out for are the wannabes. The people to be scared of are actually the, the wannabes in many cases. Because uh, nobody had ever actually said that to me in such straightforward terms. So this guy saying that, it was truly an epiphany. It blew my mind in that moment. And uh, just a quick story about that guy before I go on. But there was one time where he he was in the bathroom for hours. This guy, he was in the bathroom for like three hours. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even exaggerating. It was some extraordinary amount of time for somebody to be in the bathroom. And we could, we could hear sounds. We could tell nothing too weird was going on. Like we could hear the bathtub. We could hear you know just different things going on. And... He was in there for so long that when he came out, you know, it had to be addressed. And it turned out he was shaving his legs because he had these just grotesquely hairy legs. And, I mean, I never even thought about it. I never even would have thought about this guy's legs. But he mentioned it because he was in the bathroom for so long. And he was like, well, I was shaving my legs. He's like, one time in high school, a girl looked, I wore shorts, and a girl looked at my legs. And, and you know, she said, Pablo, Pablo, that was his name, Pablo. His name was Pablo Picasso. <laughs> no, but she said, uh, Pablo, your legs. And I guess it humiliated him, you know, how hairy his legs were. And so he saw a razor. I guess he was living in a house with a bathtub and a razor blade. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to finally do something about my legs. 
And so I guess it ended up being this massive ordeal and there was just his leg hair was all over the bathroom. And, you know, I guess he, he might have tried to clean it up, but it just it was like a murder scene, you know. So that was just funny, though. This guy he spent hours shaving his legs. And just the idea, as a guy, the idea of having, like, smooth legs. Like, I'm glad I don't have grotesquely hairy legs. Like, I'm glad that I don't wear shorts and girls come up to me and say, Pablo, because that's my name, too. Uh, I'm glad they don't come up to me, though, and shame me. I'm glad they don't leg hair shame me, body shame me. It's body shaming. Oh, they had body shaming back then? They They... They used to give you a bunch of crap about the leg hair, how thick your leg hair is. I didn't know body shaming went back that far. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm not in that situation. But I'm also glad I've never had to, you know, shave my legs out of humiliation. And having smooth legs would just be a little weird. Um, but anyway, that was just a funny side thing, this episode of hours in the bathroom and just leaving this murder scene behind of leg hair. No blood. I don't think he cut himself. Maybe he did. Maybe. Just to make this story good. Just to make this story better. He cut his legs up. His legs were just covered in gashes. There was blood all over. Blood and leg hair all over the bathroom. But yeah, the wannabe thing is something that just, ever since he told me that, I just, I never forgot it. I was just like, wow, that's actually really good advice. And it's funny because you, you can trace things back to a certain person or a certain situation where you learn something important like that. The idea that, oh yeah, you know, if, if say you get in an argument, you know, out in public with somebody, if they're a real gangster, it's not worth it. Or if they're a real tough guy, they're not going to see you as a big enough problem to drop everything. You know, they're not going to drop everything and, and lower themselves just to, like, break your nose. But somebody who has something to prove will do it. You know, they will drop everything. And this goes back to something that came up in a recent episode where just those sorts of people are demons, in the, this recent Every Night's a School Night episode, I was talking about that, how there are people out there, and you could find them everywhere you go. If you walk into a grocery store, there's a high chance that there's somebody in there who is willing to sacrifice everything they have, all of their security and comfort, to break your nose over a, a shopping cart argument. You have to remember that. There is always somebody who is possessed enough to do that. And a lot of those people are wannabes. A lot of those people who are people who are trying to prove something. So just that guy telling me that, I don't even think he told it to me. He didn't even sit me down like it was some kind of advice, but it ended up being great advice just because I never forgot that. And it's it has influenced the way that I deal with certain people. You know, because it's like just because I don't think very highly of somebody and I think of them as a wannabe doesn't mean that they're not going to sacrifice everything to try to prove how tough they are, prove something. And then that gets into what I really want to talk about, is that there are wannabe anythings. You know, it's not just... Because we hear wannabe and we think of it a certain way. We think we tend to think of wannabe as someone who's either trying to be tough or trying to be cool. And oftentimes those things mean the same thing. Because for a gangster, for example, for a gangster, being tough and cool are considered the same thing. Uh, but, you know, we tend to think of, oh, when someone's a poser, 
a wannabe and a poser. We tend to think of that more as um, somebody who either wants to be cool, they want to be liked, or they want to be considered tough, or both. But there are people who are wannabe kind. You know, there's people who who are, they want to be a kind person. I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, the best term to use. Oh, you're a wannabe kind person. You know what? You're just a wannabe kind person. You're not really kind. That's a good point, though. You know, that is a good point because, I mean, I was talking about that old boss I had in, in an episode the other day, and I described him as pseudo new age and how with him, even when he was in a good mood, kindness was this sort of form of tyranny because it wasn't, it didn't seem authentic, you know, it didn't seem like real kindness and people do wield kindness as a weapon sometimes. I mean, think about it. If if anybody's ever told you, why don't you smile more? Why don't you smile more? Or if a stranger, I mean, I've had strangers say that to me on the street. It's unbelievable, the audacity of people. But I've had strangers say to me on the street, smile, because they think that, I mean, I have resting dick face. You've heard of resting bitch face. I have resting dick face, which isn't to be confused with impotence, resting dick. No, but I have resting dick face. I have a heavy brow, which means that I look very serious and stern all the time. And I don't smile much. So occasionally someone will have the the gall, the gall and the balls to tell me smile. And from what I understand, women get this all the time. I've seen people say it to women I know in bars, in public, and I've only gotten it, you know, a couple times. Uh, but it's something people say. They say, smile. And to me, that's using kindness as a weapon. To me, that's using goodness it's a form of tyranny in a way. It's like trying to force everybody to act like they're feeling happy or good. And actually, to go back to that old boss, you know, we would take company photos and I wouldn't smile. I would do what I call like my pleasant face, which is not a smile, but it's sort of like I raise my heavy brow so that it's not quite as heavy. And maybe I look more surprised or something. I don't know what the face is, but he would always give me shit about not smiling in photos because he wanted to present this professional photo where every employee is smiling. And, uh, you know, that is kind of using goodness, you know, and, and happiness as a weapon when you're forcing somebody to express it when that's not necessarily how they're feeling or it's not a natural expression. You know, the men in my family, we don't smile in photos. And it was amazing to find out that they that we all kind of have the same philosophy and nobody ever taught it to me but to hear i think it was my uncle who said you know i don't smile in a, in photos unless i'm actually smiling you know i don't smile in a photo unless like they happen to catch me smiling naturally and i was like holy shit that's how i feel turns out there is something to this whole dna this dna thing um, but, you know, it's that sort of idea, like trying to force people to smile or telling strangers to smile. And that's kind of, you know, using goodness, using kindness as a form of tyranny, as sort of a weapon, forcing people to express happiness rather than doing something to make them happy. It's like when my boss was like, I wish you'd smile in photos. It's like, how about you give me a raise right before they take the photo? 
How about you stick a, a $20 bill in my back pocket? How about you you roll a, a $100 bill up real tight and just uh, tuck it behind my ear for me? You'll see a real big smile. And that's sort of funny about that whole way of thinking where it's like, I want to see more superficial displays of happiness, but I'm not actually going to do anything that makes you genuinely happy and therefore would express a natural happiness. But it comes up in these sewage, these sewage, maybe that's sewage. <laughs> I was going to say pseudo-new age, but I slipped and it sounded like sewage. Pseudo-new age? Oh, you mean sewage. S- that's nothing but sewage. S- new age sewage. That's my new name is New Age Sewage. It's my gang name, my gang gang member name. But you see it a lot in New Age. You see it a lot in these sort of... Uh, you know, spiritual circles, for sure. You know, you, you definitely see it in that subject matter where there's this wannabe wisdom, wannabe kindness. And in order to actually be kind, I do believe you have to go through the motions. I mean, I've learned that firsthand. I used to think, I'm just a hater. When I met my friend Miles, I was talking to him, and I remember saying, oh, you're just a hater. And I meant it in sort of a good way. I was just like, "Oh yeah, yeah. You, you know, you tend to you, you're cynical. You tend to see the, the the bad side of things. You know, you're like me. You're a hater. And I mean, obviously, I was kidding, but there's truth to that as well. You know, it's like I used to think of myself that way. I was just like, "Oh yeah, I'm just a hater, and I just I don't like things." And then going through the motions of liking things, going through the motion of being nice, going through the motions of of smiling or telling somebody giving somebody a compliment, whatever it was, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, you know, it's not like I was some, uh, some beast in a dark cavern my whole life, but it's still like just in terms of actually feeling happy and actually expressing happiness or kindness, I think you do kind of have to fake it. I think you do kind of have to be a wannabe, but you have to, I mean, that has to be an internal process. It's not because you want other people to think of you as a kind person. Because there are a lot of people who are like, I'm just a nice person and I'm going to make sure that everybody sees it. When I give a, a $5 donation to the man on the street corner, I'm going to make sure that other people see me do it. That person's a wannabe. Like if you give money to a homeless person and you want other people to see it, you are a wannabe. And that's okay, because you are doing something nice. Sometimes it's okay to be a wannabe. Sometimes the ends do justify the means. At the end of the day, you know, if you're donating your time to a soup kitchen, even if you're doing it for egotistical reasons, even if you're doing it because you're a wannabe, because you want to be a kind person who donates your time helping other people, even if you're a wannabe... You know, that's your own thing you're going to have to deal with. You know, that whatever dissonance is there because you're a wannabe, that's something you're going to have to deal with on your own. But at the end of the day, you donated your time to a soup kitchen. So the ends in, in that way justify the means, even if it was something you were doing to satisfy your own ego or to, or to establish your identity as a kind person. So, you know, there is a sort of ends justify the means thing to it, and with negative things too. You know, where at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a wannabe tough guy, 
because if you punch enough people, you're going to get a reputation as a tough guy, as somebody not to mess with. And it turns out a lot of people, a lot of real gangsters were once wannabes too. Um, so it's not like these things are, you know, mutually exclusive in any way. Uh, they often do lead to each other. So I don't think you can dismiss the value of being a wannabe. But it's just something that uh, I guess you have to try not to inflict it on other people is what it comes down to. You just have to not inflict that. Because that's what it feels like when someone tells you to smile. Like they're inflicting something on you. It's not a nice thing. It's like they want to see you smile so that they feel better. They want you to smile so that they will feel better. How dare you use my smile for your own pleasure? You should want me to smile because I genuinely feel happy. Because you tucked a $20 bill in my back pocket and I found it. That's why, <laughs> that's how you make me smile. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, like I said, the ends do justify the means to a certain degree. And, and if you do something enough, you will become that thing. But that wannabe syndrome can truly apply to anything. And... It, I felt, you know, I, I found myself falling into that trap. I really did. I, I feel like when I decided to make some substantial changes in my life, I think I fell into that trap with the whole love and kindness thing where I, I had suddenly opened up this new resource. And actually, I might as well, let me, I'm not going to pause it. I'm going to allow you to hear me walk into the other room and return. I'm going to give you a little atmosphere here. I like to, this is a new thing. It's happened a couple times recently, this walking away from the mic and then returning. It's, it's going to be a new, it's a dramatic effect. It's a dramatic effect. All right, so I'm going to read just a, a short thing here. A woman buries a treasure in a deep pit, thinking it will be useful in time of need. Or if the king is displeased with me, or if I am robbed or fall into debt, or if food is scarce, or bad luck befalls me. But all this treasure may not profit the owner at all, for she may forget where she has hidden it, or goblins may steal it. Or her enemies or even her kinsmen may take it when she is careless. But by charity, goodness, restraint, and self-control, man and woman alike can store up a well-hidden treasure, a treasure which cannot be given to others and which robbers cannot steal. A wise person should do good. That is the treasure which will not leave one. And that's a, taken from the Kudhaka Patha. As always, my pronunciations are probably terrible. But yeah, I like that because it gets back to that idea of the infinite resource. Where you have to address what are the infinite resources. And kindness can absolutely be an infinite resource. Goodness is and can be an infinite resource for anybody who gives in to goodness. And when I realized that, when I realized that kindness and goodness isn't something that I have to be possessive of and only dole out 
in certain moments. You know, I want to be authentic. Like if I compliment somebody, if I do something nice for somebody, I want it to be authentic. I want to feel it. But uh, it's not something that you need to be a miser about. It's, it's, it's not something that you need to have a tight grip on. Like while I don't want to give out fake compliments, I don't want to say things that I don't mean. I don't want to do nice things that I don't actually mean. Hey, Batty. Batty. Come here. Batty. Batty. Hey, Batty. Hey, Batty, come here. Come here. Come here. Okay, whatever. He's not listening. Um, but, uh, hey. Um, but anyway, you know, thinking of these things as infinite resources, which is exactly what that passage was getting at, which is the idea that, you know, you can hide your treasure, you can keep your treasure for some reason, you know, you you always have a reason for storing your treasure, but how, you know, that no matter how well you hide it, that is not an infinite resource and somebody can take it from you. You can lose it somehow. And I mean, you see that with wealth. I mean, you, you see that with, um... There's this idea that there's this thing called fuck you money. We call this fuck you money, which is, uh, it means I can say whatever I want because I got enough money. But the reality is there is no at, there is no real fuck you money. Because, I mean, I've been under that false illusion until recently that if I were to acquire 10 million, dillion, trillion, dillions, multiple dillions in there, nobody's heard of a dillion, but a dillion is a lot of money, especially when you got two of them combined with a trillion, billion, dillion. But if I had a dillion dollars, <laughs> uh, I, I've had this idea that, oh, I could do anything I wanted, except when you actually look at what happens during revolutions. When you look at nobles who have been you know, part of noble families for generations and they have all of this wealth, they really have no worries. They're not going to lose what they have, but yet a revolution takes place, and guess what? Suddenly the bank is not doing what, you know, suddenly the bank is not protecting your money. New people, a new regime is in power, and it turns out they have power over even the bank, and they can take your money. You look at what happened in Soviet Russia. You look at the communist revolution and what happened to certain people with wealth, where it doesn't matter how much wealth they had stashed away in banks, how much property they owned, these things that should give us security, these things that should give us fuck you money. You know, we think about that, and yet we can see how easily that can just be taken away when somebody else gains power. We can see where somebody's a king, and they end up under the guillotine. You know, so you really have no absolute material security in this world. You're always just, even for the richest person in the world, you're always one revolution away from having your bank account taken away from you from having your wealth redistributed by communist demons. You know, it's, it's always just one step away. And so the idea that none of that is an infinite resource and none of that can give you true security as a result. So, so what gives you true security? What is an infinite resource? Well, goodness is one. It doesn't matter how good you are, you will n- never run out of good things to do. And the same is true for badness. 
You know, the same is, of course, true for like a lot of these general terms for certain ways of behaving or, you know, certain ways of conducting yourself. And you can do both. You can you can pull from the infinite resource of goodness and you can pull from the infinite resource of badness. But when you recognize that these things are infinite resources, it changes your relationship to them. Because I used to think of badness as a finite resource, too, where, oh, I only need to complain this much. I only need to complain this much, and then I'll run out of bad things to talk about. Nope. I used to justify some of my complaint by saying, I'm just venting. I'm just venting. Well, just at some point, you have to close the vent. Because just venting can be infinite, too. Because it turns out you never have... You never run out of things to complain about, even when you're venting. Even when it's like, oh, me and my coworker are going to vent about our boss, and we're going to limit the, the conversation to that. Well, it's a slippery slope before you're venting about everything, and then it's just, that's what you do, is you vent, you complain. So that's an infinite resource, too, and you can trick yourself. You can get sucked into doing that. You can get sucked into complaining. You can get sucked into being a hater because you think, oh, I have a limited number of things I'm upset about, and I just need to talk about them. But it turns out talking about them just opens the gates to talking about everything bad, and then that kind of becomes your identity is complaining, being a cynic. But recognizing that both of those things are infinite allows you to deal with them as such. Like if you're worried that giving, like if you genuinely like somebody's hair, I don't remember the last time I complimented someone's hair, but maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to do a little more of that. Not leg hair. I can tell you I'm not going to say anything about someone's leg hair. God forbid they'd spend three hours in the bathroom shaving their legs. Turns into a crime scene. No, but, uh, you know, if, you, if you're feeling, if you have something nice to say to somebody, but you don't say it because you're worried that you only have a limited number of nice things you can say, well, you're deluded because there's no limit. As long as you feel it, you can say it and you don't lose anything. And people do that a lot with dating. The game of dating, it's, you know, because you can't give too many compliments because it's kind of manipulative. You know, when, when somebody gives somebody too many compliments in an attempt to woo them, it's not trustworthy. And usually, usually people can pick up on that. It's like if you compliment a girl too much, she knows. So part of it is that, you know, there's this sort of game to things. Hey, Batty, you know, Batty, it's New Year's. I'm going to let you do whatever you want. I'm going to let you do whatever you want because it's New Year's. But I'm not feeling the box, okay? I'm not feeling... Come here. Hey, hey, hey. I know this is a great part of the show. The, the part where we try to discourage the chihuahua from barking when he hears people outside. Um, but, uh, you know, just remembering that, though, that's like, as long as you feel it, you're not going to lose anything. And yeah, there are situations like dating where being too complimentary, you know, you are you don't want to show your cards too early or something like that. And that's a whole other situation. But just in terms of being a person, you have to remember that these things are infinite. And so you don't need to be stingy. 
and treat it like it's some sort of finite material resource. It doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you need to be too free. It doesn't mean you need to throw these things out to everybody all the time. It doesn't need you don't need to be a a complement machine gun. But you also don't need to be stingy about it when you actually want to express it, when you actually feel that. Because I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of like a Russian thing. You know, you hear about Russians being kind of terse and not very free with their compliments. It's kind of like a prison mindset. Like you've heard that about prison where when someone's in prison, be careful of the person who's being nice to you. If somebody approaches you and they're a little too nice, if they give you something, chances are there's something manipulative about it. And so that's true, too. So that's part of the balance of all this is that it's like there's no just one absolute way that you can be. Because, you know, everything, everything can be manipulated. But when it's you, when it's coming from you yourself, like you should be wary of other people trying to woo you. You should be wary of being wooed, which sounds like somebody who can't say uh, their R's saying rude. <laughs> you should be wary of people who <laughs> be wary of people who are trying to woo you, who are being wooed. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, you should be wary of like somebody who's being excessively complimentary because they might be a, a used car salesman. They might be trying to get something out of you. They might be trying to manipulate you. But when it's coming from you yourself, you have to remember that you're not going to run out of that. But you have to reinforce it. You know, I think that's the thing with seeing these things as infinite resources is that if you are prone to dwelling on the wrong things, or if you've become bitter or resentful or hateful, it sure feels like being nice is a finite resource. If you're miserable, being nice sure feels like it's something that you have very little of, which is why you have to reinforce feeling good in order to recognize that that's an infinite resource. Um, and you know, and, and nobody can be good or nice all the time is the reality. I've known a few people, you know, my grandma, my dad's mom was just one of those people who was so fundamentally nice and sweet that I don't even know how a person like that exists. Like for me, cause that's not me. Hey, baddie. Hey, baddie, I'm going to get, I'm going to put you on my lap is what I'm going to do. All right. All right. We got a dog here. We got a dog. We got a dog. Um, but yeah, I think about people like my grandma who just seemed to be somebody who was just so fundamentally sweet and nice. My mom was another. My mom was very much that way. I saw more of her than I did my grandma. So I got a feel for kind of the, the ups and downs of her. But there were so many more ups to her than downs. And so I think some people are able to just be that all the time. But, you know, so nobody can be a saint. Very few people, I should say. Very few people can actually be a saint where they can be sweet and nice all the time. And you should be careful of people who are wannabes 
of that. People who want to give the image that they are kind, but they also wield kindness as a sword, and they use kindness to control other people. So you have to be careful of those people, and you'll find those people, oh man, they're all over the place if you get into spirituality, um, whether it's formal religion or whether it's just weird little, you know, occult focus groups, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, uh, you'll find it. You'll find that. Uh, you'll find it in Buddhism for sure. You find it a lot in Buddhism where you'll meet people who are Buddhist and you find that they're presenting this image. They're saying the right things. They're talking about loving kindness. I might be this person. I might be this person I'm talking about right now when I talk about Buddhism, when I read Buddhist passages like I just did. <laughs> I might very well be this person who's like, it's all about loving kindness. You just got to be a loving, kind person. And I see it a lot too, like, I don't mean to to uh, come down on him because I like him, but Rob Bresney, you know, has a very spiritually informed New Age outlook, and it comes through in his astrology, it comes through in, in, his, in his writings, and I genuinely like him. I think he's a sweet, good guy, but there was a period a few weeks ago, a month, month around election time, where he was just posting and sharing these unhinged things about Trump supporters. Where he was just like, I, I just can't believe, I just can't believe that half the country supports a fascist, violent dictator who's trying to kill everybody. He's trying to shave everybody's legs with a, a dull razor blade. You know, the things he was saying about Trumpsfeld and Trumpsfeld supporters, I was like, you're like a 70-year-old man who has dedicated yourself to Eastern spiritual spirituality and, and you know, New Age positive thinking. You wrote a book about how we should replace paranoia with pronoia, which is the idea that the world is conspiring to do good things. Yet you're you're hitting this major roadblock with Trumpsfeld supporters and hating these people. Like you probably have yin yangs on the walls of your house, and yet you're having trouble comprehending Trumps Trumpsfeld supporters. You know it's that sort of thing, and I don't think that guy's a nasty guy. Like I like I said, I I like Rob Bresny, Bresny Bresny, however you say it. I like I genuinely like him. You know, I think he's a goofball. I think he says some goofy things that I don't necessarily, you know, I think his sense of humor is, is kind of dorky. I think he's got kind of a dorky sense of humor. And as you as you can hear right now, I'm degenerating into a monster who's criticizing a, a guy. But, uh, you know, I just saw that, though. And, like, he was just one example. He was just one example of that, is one example of that, where these people who have immersed themselves in accepting all people hit this roadblock where they just simply can't accept that certain people have certain beliefs or they support certain politicians, and they actually start demonizing those people, which is, you know, one of the big teachings in all of this stuff. I mean, I think one of the most profound ideas in Eastern spirituality is that we are one even with the things that we find completely despicable. 
we are those things too. Those things are us. Those things are in us and we are in them. And the things, the things we like about ourselves are in those people and the things we don't like about them are in us and we are part of this wholeness. But it can be hard to reconcile that. It can be hard to actually feel that way because it's so easy to be mad at people. You know, it's so easy to give in to that. But I, I see it a lot where people pay lip service to that idea. Because to me, I'm a, you know, I don't think this is an extreme take, but it sounds so extreme because of the way that all of our dialogue has been conditioned. Uh, but you have to see the Hitler in yourself, you know, you have to be able to see that. Just like you have to be able to see the Mother Teresa in yourself. You have to be able to see these things through your own being. You have to be able to relate to these things because you are all components of the wholeness. You are all components of the totality. We are all. I shouldn't say you. I should make this. This is an important we statement. And uh, because of that, though, you know, it just it. You're always going to have a certain dilemma. There is always going to be a dilemma. And I do think this actually does play into the New Year's thing a bit for me where it's kind of what happens with a year, you know, because I got some birthday wishes and included with the birthday wishes were like Happy New Year. You know, people bundle, people bundle their, there's a lot of stuff going on this time of year. There's a lot of stuff. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's. And then when you have a birthday in the middle of those two things, you're going to get people who bundle it as Merry Christmas, Happy Birthday, and Happy New Year's. And I appreciate it. I don't care. You can bundle it all you want. It. You know, you don't even have to say anything to me. But uh, a couple comments where it was like, well, I sure hope 2021 is a better year for everybody. And that's a nice thought. I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I hope 2021 is a better year for everybody. But I refuse to demonize 2020. That's been a, a point on this show throughout this year. But I refuse to see 2020 as a fundamentally bad year. And everybody has their own personal situations that differ. Like if you suffered a lot of pain and loss this year, I, I understand and I relate. It's not that I don't relate, you know. My mom died just a, a couple weeks before 2020, so the grief process was going on for me in early 2020. I've been through a lot. I've certainly suffered through grief. I wouldn't even say suffered. I don't like the word suffering. I've experienced grief, anxiety, many of the things everybody has gone through this year, obviously coronavirus. All of the political unrest, uh, just uh, what's happened to everybody is dealing with a lot of negative, even if you're feeling fine yourself, you're dealing with, you know, a lot of negative emotion in other people this year. Uh, So I completely understand why people want 2021 to be a better year. But I would say that any year, any New Year's, any single New Year's, I would say I hope the next year is an even better year. I hope that the years get so exponentially better that we don't even know what to do with ourselves. Like, you know, I I hope that 2022 is even better than 2021. I hope every subsequent year from here on gets better. But I'm also not going to see this year as a bad year. 
I'm just not, I just, I haven't seen it that way so far. And part of that might be my own just rebellious, rebelliousness. Like there's probably a part of me that hears all the people say another 2020. Oh, here, 2020 much, huh? That's been my joke. 2020 much. Uh, But every time something happens, they're like, oh, it's, it's just another 2020 thing. In a 2020 moment, I got a flat tire. Oh, I got a flat tire. It's because it's 2020. You know, you see a lot of stuff like that, and I've just refused to give in to that. Because 2020 doesn't have to be a bad year. 2020 doesn't have to be a bad year. Even if you suffered, it does not have to be a bad year. And hey, folks, I don't know, you might not hear this episode by the time it gets published tonight. But the last eight hours of 2020, seven and a half hours, the last seven and a half hours of 2020 don't have to be bad. The last 12 months of 2020 didn't have to be bad either, even though bad things were happening. Even though bad things were happening as they happen every year. You're going to find people who might have had a bad 2020 But the events that made 2020 bad for them could have happened in any year. So it might be my own rebelliousness that is refusing to give in to the anti-2020 talk. And I don't want it to come across as flippant. Flippant. Because if somebody's like, oh, 2020 much? The worst year in recorded history, 2020? The worst year in recorded history, 2020. You know, if somebody's saying that, I don't want to be the person who turns around and says, yeah, well, I think 2020 is the best year ever. I think 2020 is the best year ever. I don't want to use that as a weapon. I don't want to use positive thinking as a weapon because that's actually exactly what I'm talking about. If somebody were complaining about 2020, which everybody understands why people complain about 2020, but if somebody were complaining about 2020, it's using positivity as a weapon to turn around and say, yeah, well, I think it was a great year. I think it was a great year. You know, that's kind of using that as a weapon. That's like telling somebody to smile. Telling somebody, yeah, well, 2020 was great in my opinion. That's the same as saying, hey, why don't you smile more? Oh, hey, when you're walking down the street, how come you're not smiling? It's the same thing. Same exact thing to do that. And so I don't want to do that. But I genuinely feel that 2020 was what you make of it. If it was the year that you lost everything and you're homeless now, I'm not going to tell you to smile. But if it was similar to a lot of people's experiences, which is that you're barely getting by, you're doing what you can to hold on to what you have, you're keeping your head afloat, but there's struggles, which is a perfect description of my 2020. You know, I, I'm, I would say, hey, you could do something with that. You could make that into something that is, if nothing else, an emotionally, physically, and spiritually productive time. You know, you could turn that into something, is how I feel about that. And when I'm looking at my 2020, with 2020 vision, when I'm looking at 2020 through my 2020, um, 
you know, it could have been a more productive year in terms of maybe creativity. It could have been more professional. It could have been more productive in any number of ways. But when I look about actually just, you know, the way I handled it, like when I look at the way that I approached it, I think it was a good year. I think I learned a great deal. I mean, Coronavi damaged my freaking lung, guys. You know, it's like, I'll wait until the antibodies test comes back. I'll wait until I get the test to find out if I actually had it, or I'll wait until they stick something, an x-ray, whatever it is. I'll wait until they x-ray my lungs to let me know what the actual situation is. But without a better theory, I believe the very thing that made 2020 such a bad year, which is the coronavi, in everybody's opinion, it's not my opinion that coronavi made it a bad year, but everybody feels that this year was bad primarily because of coronavi. And I might well have been permanently damaged by coronavi. I'm not going to take that attitude. I've been running again because I'm going to try to strengthen my lungs up again and maybe try to at least counterbalance whatever damage I had have. And I'm not I'm not going to think about it as permanent. But it sure seems like the very thing that made this year so bad for people, which is death and coronavi, both those things affected me. You know, but yet I still refuse to see 2020 as a bad year, even though 2020 was the first year that my mom didn't exist on planet Earth in the form she was in. Even though in February, March of 2020, I got very sick. And ever since then, I I have some sort of damage to my lung. I'm still going to I still it's not even that I refuse to see 2020 as a bad year. I just genuinely don't feel that way. So I don't see 2020 as a bad year, but I still want 2021 to be better. Because why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I want every single year from now on to be a better year for everybody? I can't imagine thinking otherwise. But I'm not going to see this as a wash. Because that's what bothers me. It's not that people have some sort of negative, oh, God, another thing happened. I got a flat tire. Oh, and then I, uh, Alex Trebek died. Alex Trebek died in, in 2020. And I love Alex Trebek. Genuinely, as far as celebrities go, one of my all-time favorite celebrities is Alex Trebek, and he died too. 2020 much? No, I'm not going to take that attitude about it. Uh, and I don't like seeing things as a wash. I don't like feeling like I wasted my time. And that's sort of what goes along with people seeing 2020 as a fundamentally bad year is they treat it like it was just a wash and a waste of everybody's time. And it's certainly not that. Even for the person who feels like 2020 was just a waste of time, Think of all the restaurants I could have gone to. Think of all the museums, restaurants. Think of all the Tinder dates I could have gone on. Think of it. If that's your approach, yeah, whatever. Do whatever. I don't even have anything to say. I don't have anything to say. It's not even a conversation I can participate in. If 2020 for you 
was just a testament to all the things that you didn't get to do, I can't possibly have that conversation with somebody. Because this year has been utterly fascinating. It's been a complete adventure. And it's been a great, I don't know, I'm trying to think of it. Let's just leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. It's been a great adventure, and it has been utterly fascinating. And so I just, I don't, I cannot possibly in earnest, you know, I would be a wannabe if I tried to say 2020 was a bad year. I would be, I would just be saying that because everybody else I know is saying that. And the unfortunate thing is, if you were sitting around with people and they were talking about how bad 2020 was and you said, well, hey, if you gave some sort of silver lining, you would come across like the oppositionally defiant freak who's just trying to be different. Or you would seem like you're trying to use it as a weapon or something like, oh, you mean you guys didn't experience personal growth? Oh, so you're telling me that you didn't experience personal growth? You didn't experience physical, mental, spiritual growth during 2020? Oh, I guess you wasted your time. You know, you never want to use that as a weapon. You never want to, you know, you never want to turn that into some sort of like self-superiority. Oh, my superpower? Oh, I guess you guys don't have the same superpower I have, which is that I can turn bad years into periods of very intense spiritual growth. You know, you never want to be that asshole, that asshole. But internally, you know, you got to be honest with yourself. And for me, being honest with myself, I just don't see this year as a wash. I don't see it as a waste. Um, even though I, I feel like it damaged me physically. Even though I was dealing with a lot of difficulty. And then none of that's over. None of that's going to be over at midnight tonight. And so I think another thing that concerns me about people putting too much weight on this year being over and 2021 coming is that I hope they don't set up false expectations for themselves when things potentially get more difficult, more weird, more weird. You know, I I just hope that people don't set themselves up like that when the clock strikes strikes midnight tonight there's going to be some miracle that everything's going to be back to normal all of the things that caused you immense pain and and struggle in 2020 are going to be magically gone while there is a power to thinking that way while there is a certain power like when you think about the fact that millions uh, a trillion billion people because a trillion billion it applies to people just as well as it does money it applies to a quantity of anything, a trillion billion of anything. But when a trillion billion people are sitting there tonight thinking 2021 is going to be a better year, that has a power. That's casting a certain spell. And maybe people will bring a positive attitude with them. But I do worry about people setting up a false expectation where they expect things to be magically different. So just something to consider on the, the new year's. This here new year. This here new year. New year. Oh, the new year. Oh, you're talking about the new year. I'm sure I'm so glad the old year 
I'm glad the old year's over and that the new year's coming. You know, you can want that to be a good year. You can want 2021 to be a good year, and I'm, I'm right there with you. So I'm casting that spell, too. I guess to close this year out, I'm casting that spell, too. But I'm not casting that spell at the expense of 2020. Because 2020 was, if nothing else, useful. It is useful. It's not even over. I'm going to continue to make this a useful day, this here last day. And, you know, to be totally honest with you, I'm feeling a little bit sentimental. I'm feeling a little bit like I don't want 2020 to be over even. Like, I don't think I was ready for today to be New Year's Eve. I don't like I didn't I, I've known what each day is. You know, I've, I knew that yesterday was December 30th. I know that today is December 31st, but I don't feel that I was completely mentally prepared for this to be the last day of 2020, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, But I'm going to do something with the rest of these hours. I think keeping this to, to, here we are at 56 minutes, I think it's a, a perfect amount of time to close out the new year, unless I somehow do another episode tonight, you never know with me. Uh, But uh, yeah, think about that wannabe topic. Think about that idea. The idea that, you know, while you can want to be kind, you should be careful about being a wannabe. Because you don't want to use kindness as a weapon. You don't want to be the person who tells other people to smile. You don't want to be the person who tells other people, oh, hey, you just have the wrong perspective on 2020. And all you have to do is smile and 2020 will be a good year. You know, you don't want to be that person. But you also want to fortify, you want to reinforce, you want to strengthen the things that can make any year, under any circumstances, a constructive year. And it doesn't have to be something that you measure. You don't have to be able to write down, oh, I'm going to make a list of everything good that happened. I'm going to make a list of all my accomplishments. You don't even have to do that, because what matters at the end of the day is not listing things out it's how you feel at the end of the day how you feel is all that is going to matter when it comes to you know the circumstances you were in the sync the circumstances you are in all of that is going to lead like if being productive is important to you well that is going to make you feel better but what it all comes down to is how you feel when the clock strikes midnight And only you know how you truly feel. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free